Hello, my friends. It's Gregory, host of Wednesday Wake Up. I just wanted to plop into your present moment here for a second and let you know about our upcoming online retreat, The Triple Gem Mindset. It's going to be held on Saturday, January 30th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. In this retreat, we're going to explore how to use the ancient practice of taking refuge to support both your daily practice and your path to awakening. For more info, you can check us out at www.wednesdaywakeup.com or hit us up on social media at Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Hope you enjoy the next episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Taking refuge is taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. This is the practice. Uh, this is something that comes out of the monastic tradition, but we also have it in the lay tradition as well. We don't do it as much in the lay tradition, but it's, it's a foundational Buddhist practice, certainly. And what I like to do when I talk about refuge is start with just the word refuge, because for me, I don't know how often you use the word refuge outside of a Dharma context, but I don't use it. I use it with my friends who know Dharma, but you know, if I'm struggling somewhere in my life and I'm with people who aren't meditators, I'm not going to say something like, well, you know, I can take refuge like from the rain or something like, I'm not going to use the word refuge unless I'm talking to a fellow meditator. Um, so it's kind of an odd word, right? It's a little culturally specific, I mean, minimally, if not uh, spiritually specific. So let's just get into this a bit because it's really interesting when you look at the origins of the word. In our culture, the term refuge has three dimensions to it. So refuge is freedom from danger, so physical protection, it's safety and security. So there's a physical component to it. You take refuge from a storm so you don't get injured or get washed away or so on, right? So refuge is about safety and security and physical protection. And I want to highlight the word protection because that comes into the history of the word as well. The other part of it is emotional security or emotional comfort. So you can take refuge in a way that makes you feel emotionally comfortable or emotionally safe and secure. Like if you're in a relationship with someone where you can feel authentic and vulnerable, safe to be yourself, that might be a relationship that provides emotional refuge. So you can have a physical component and an emotional component. Another aspect of this is relational refuge. This is what we have in Kalyanamita, which is spiritual friendships. So relational refuge or a refuge relationship is taking refuge in another person. It's not necessarily the emotional feeling that you get, but it's taking refuge in a person. Usually it's a person who has wisdom or some kind of teaching and you are taking refuge and you are becoming confident and secure and trusting with the wisdom of that person. Now, it can also be an institution that surrounds the person, so you can take refuge in a community. So there's these different ways that refuge 
speaks to safety, security, comfort, a sense of being okay to be vulnerable and trusting. And it's a two-way street in the relationship. So when you think of refuge, think of it in terms of physical, emotional, also interpersonal, and think of it in terms of trust and comfort and safety and security. That's really the spirit of taking refuge. What I like about it is that it's got this real depth to it, right? It has this real depth to it. In Buddhist culture, in Buddhist culture, the word refuge is used in different ways. So sometimes when we say we're taking refuge, we're actually talking about a formal Buddhist ceremony where you're taking refuge to become a part of a Buddhist community or you're identifying as being a Buddhist. Sometimes uh, communities will have formal refuge and it's done in front of the community and then you're a member of the community. So some Buddhist lineages will have formal refuge like that. So sometimes refuge refers to Buddhist rituals. Other times it's just referring to the repetitive act of taking refuge where you sit down and maybe before a retreat, you say, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. So that's also refuge. So that doesn't mean you're becoming a Buddhist or you're becoming a part of a community. It's not a formal ritual per se, but you are engaging in the practice of refuge. And so it's the act. It's going through and saying, I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And for those who've gone to the Robert Beattie Monday morning, or actually it's their weekly morning uh, guitar versions of this, you can have the sing-along as well. Which I think that sing-along that he does comes from uh, Achan... No, it's uh, one of the Zen teachers. Thich Nhat Hanh. I believe it comes from the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition, right? Anyway, so there's all kinds of ways we can take refuge. Formally, informally, it refers to the practice, but it also refers to the emotional experience that happens inside of the practice. So the take home here is that this concept of refuge is actually quite deep. You have a psychological, you have an emotional, you have an interpersonal. So there's several dimensions that are operating all at the same time. And when the practice is done with that spirit, people can feel very nourished in their practice in general. I'll go into details about that next week and the week after. But for now, just take those domains uh, as your starting point. Now, I wanted to throw some history in here because I just really like the history of this concept. And I'm just a stickler for like the origins of Buddhist words and etymologies. So what I find interesting about refuge is that refuge was around before the Buddha. So pre-Buddhist culture in India, the idea of ref refuge was already around in spiritual communities. And so at the time, refuge might have meant taking... Uh, a vow or an offering to a deity in exchange for protection. So a very uh, religious sort of orientation, right, to a god. It could also be taking refuge in somebody who might protect you physically. So someone who might have some kind of support or power, they would protect you physically if you were not able to in exchange for some type of whatever the exchange would be. There's an exchange for protection. So taking refuge is an exchange for protection. So it could be spiritual protection or physical protection, but literal protection uh, from danger. What was interesting is that when Buddhism arose, the Buddhist community adopted this idea of taking refuge, this concept of feeling safe and insecure in a relationship, and they created it as part of their rituals for spiritual practice. And they called it taking refuge, as we most of us know, in Triple Gem right? The triple gem of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. 
And again, I'll throw in some history here because I think this is really cool. So back before they created the ritual, now granted, gems are valuable. So they were looking at their spirituality as something very valuable. And it wasn't something trite, right? It wasn't like um, something that was superficial. They were really saying that the Dharma was of the highest value. So to call it the triple gem was very serious. This isn't like, oh, let's just say that it's the triple gem because gems are shiny or something like that. This was like a serious honor and respect and commitment and elevating spiritual practice in the highest value spot, right, in someone's life. Now, granted, these were monastics originally, so they're living this day to day. But the ritual was to honor the fact that this practice was hugely valuable. So this triple gem was very sacred. The other thing I really like though about the history is that certain gems were considered to have magical powers. So people would wrap them in cloth or put them in a particular pouch and carry it on their person. And so there was protection. So literal protection. So you have this metaphor of the triple gem where protection, safety, and security is of the highest value. And that the Dharma and spiritual practice provides that protection, that safety, that security, and that protection. So I just love that whole history there. I think that's way cool. Um, so this is our view, of course, of like Buddhist bling. We've got our triple gem. We've got our safety. We've got our security. We've got our emotional comfort. The Buddha Dharma Sangha model. When we look at taking refuge in Buddha, Buddha refers to the historical person first and foremost. So when we look at this historically, we have to remember that these teachings that we've been handed down existed in close-knit spiritual communities. So what we call a community, they lived with each other in community. So when we say taking refuge in Buddha, they actually meant Buddha himself, Buddha himself because Buddha was there. So they had the teacher that they were taking refuge, refuge with. Nowadays, we, we have a little bit different definition. But the historical person, even then, so they have access to Buddha. So there's taking refuge in the guiding teacher, the teachings, of course, refuge in Dharma, which is the teachings themselves, and then in the Sangha, taking refuge in Sangha. Now, I've always really enjoyed like this idea of taking refuge in Sangha because I get so much joy and nourishment after at practicing with people, and that's just been such a joy. But I just wanted to highlight the fact that Sangha would have been their lifeblood. So that if you're living in the spiritual community, like we might come to a retreat center or we might go to a meditation center, but then we go home to our families, right? We go home to our extended communities. We're not actually living most of the time unless we're extended retreat inside of a spiritual community. So when they take refuge in Sangha, this is the place where they're going to get food, shelter, medical care, and their spiritual teachings. And this is their spiritual siblings, right? This is their family now, because if you think about the tradition of the Dharma, it's a renunciate path. So people left their homes, they left their families, and took on this new family that they were committed to, and this new spirituality that they were now going to live day to day. So when you hear the term taking refuge in Sangha, I think it's just interesting to kind of tip our hats to the history here, and know that what we experience as Sangha, as lake folks, is different than it would have been if you're living, you know. Just think, what do we have, like 20 people or something here? Imagine if we were all just going to, like, live in the same place and practice, right? And no Wednesday wake up, it's everyday wake up. And we're, here's our community, and we're this is refuge, right? Here's our community. We're going to make sure everyone gets fed. We're going to take care of each other. 
And you can feel that sense, right? That's a different kind of sense of commitment and dedication uh, than we would normally experience as lay folks. So I still consider you my sangha. So, you know, even if we're not living together, <laughs> I'm a real pain anyway. You wouldn't want to live with me anyway. Um, so Buddha Dharma Sangha, right? This is what we take refuge in. Now, again, I wanted to bring some history and some richness to the concept here because pre-Buddhism, taking refuge oftentimes with, was in the context of a deity or a god. And so you're taking refuge to get something in return that's going to protect you and satiate you. So part of this is prayer-like, right? You're taking refuge to get something back. Now, because the Buddha, of course... I find this ironic. So the Buddha, you can't touch money, you know, in the monastic tradition. So you're not going to be getting any, you're not going to be taking refuge in Buddha for the cash, right? You're not going to be getting anything like that from him. The Buddha's not a god, so he's not going to be able to like grant wishes or give you some kind of like, I mean, he's not a genie. You're not going to be like rubbing the lamp and the genie comes out and then gives you three wishes. Like this is a different type of refuge that they're talking about historically as Buddhism arises in an already rich spiritual culture of India. And so when they're talking about refuge, when they're looking at this term that previously meant like real physical protection or divine intervention, so to speak, now they're bringing it into this ritual practice and saying, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha, and I take refuge in the teachings, I take refuge in Buddha. So what we see here is that there's this transition where now they're taking refuge in each other. It's a very practical, real-life, relational experience between human beings, a group of human beings and the teachings. And part of this refuge is that the belief that the Dharma can free us from suffering. So the protection becomes internalized. The real protection we get from refuge is that the Dharma is designed to free us from suffering. And so when we commit to the Dharma and we take refuge and comfort and trust in the teachings, we are expecting something in return. That protection that used to be very literal is now inside. We've embodied an internalized refuge as an internal process, which we then voice to our fellow meditators, right? Our fellow spiritual Kalyanamita, as they say, our spiritual friends. So you see this origin of refuge for protection and safety and security, and it becomes embodied in these interpersonal relationships, which I think is just a beautiful concept, really. And then we go one last step in the history of, of refuge, and then we, we have refuge for us as lay folks, right? Now, originally, one of the terms used was going for refuge, which is hearkening back to renunciation, where monks and nuns take robes and get a begging bowl and they go off on the spiritual path, right? That's a taking of refuge. And that would have been the formal break in which the refuge would have been taken. So because we don't take robes and we don't have begging bowls, in the West, refuge has come to mean several different things. One thing that refuge means, like I said earlier, for some of us, you might take a formal refuge ceremony if you want to identify as being a Buddhist and part of a particular Buddhist community, you might formally say, I've taken refuge. And so when you speak to another meditator and you say, I've taken refuge, you're essentially saying, yeah, I'm a Buddhist. I practice my precepts and I've taken these commitments or vows to, to the teachings. For some of us, taking refuge 
is a part of our spiritual practice and reminds us that there is a spiritual component to what we're doing. And what I mean by that is that if you practice mindfulness, if mindfulness is extracted out of the Dharma and we use it as, say, stress reduction like MBSR or mindfulness as part of therapy or self-help or coaching or something like that, if you practice mindfulness just in those contexts, you're not going to need something like a refuge structure to get the stress reduction, to get the well-being, because it's just a tool. If you want the Dharma to rise to spiritual practice, you need some structure to support the practice. And the refuge concept, the mindset that's embedded in refuge, supports the spiritual part of the mindfulness practice. So for some folks in the West, we take refuge to acknowledge the spiritual dimension to our mindfulness practice, right? We acknowledge its history, and we acknowledge that this is not just a stress reduction tool. I'm here for this aspiration of illumination. I'm in this aspiration for all beings to be free from suffering. And so we have a sense of spirituality within our practice. And the refuge ceremony or just practicing refuge, say before we start our sits or before we start a retreat, honors and acknowledges that aspiration. It raises the practice up into the spiritual domain. So that's another way uh, that we use it. One last way, uh, again, that we use it is some people want to identify and say, I am a Buddhist, right? And so some folks don't consider one to be a Buddhist unless one says that I am taking refuge. Sometimes I try to explain to people, you know, for me, I identify as being first and foremost, a meditator. Like in my life, like meditation is, is like the focal point of my day. It starts in the morning, I'm on the cushion and I'm always, you know, studying, meditating. And so to me, it's like, I identify as being a meditator. Yes, it's a Buddhist practice. So I could say I'm a Buddhist, I guess, but I just don't know if, if it's ever resonated with me to make a strong declaration that I'm a Buddhist or not a Buddhist. It's never really mattered to me. The practice is what mattered and I love taking refuge. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is that in the West, we don't necessarily have clear demarcations the way that the monastics had. For the monastics, you took refuge or didn't take refuge. For us as lay folk, how we bring it into our practice, how we use it uh, to sustain and support our practice, how we use it to connect to each other deeply, it's kind of up to us, right? It depends on the meditation center that you're associated with. It depends on what you would like out of the experience. So we can really, for lack of a better word, I customize this refuge to what our own heart and mind desires. How can we use these concepts of protection, of comfort, of faith in the teachings, this understanding of the Buddha's enlightenment, our aspiration to be enlightened and awakened, uh, our aspiration to be in practice with each other. That means so many different things to all of us, right? We all have our own emotional gradation or hue when we think of taking refuge. So that's the, the last part of that history that I just wanted to just wanted to share with you because it's such an interesting evolution going from pre-Buddhist culture to then the Buddhists using it and re-identifying it for their own spiritual needs. And then us as lay practitioners also having access to this concept of refuge and using it in our own lives to support practice. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I will get much, much deeper into the psychology behind this and how we can use it in practice. 
But for today, I wanted to offer a couple reflections so we can orient ourselves towards what refuge might mean to us as individual and community practitioners. So if you have a piece of paper and a pen or a spiritual journal, please grab it. And I want to ask you a few questions to get you thinking about refuge and what it might mean to you personally on the path. You can use it as a meditation if you don't like to write, totally fine. You all know that I'm a journaler, so paper and pen is my weapon of choice. And I'll just uh, remind folks, I'm just going to ask a couple questions here just to, to, just to leave you with something that uh, will ground you in this experience of refuge. So remember, you could write down just words, anything that comes to mind, first answer, best answer for these kind of reflections. Not necessarily a philosophical inquiry, but you could spend some time on it after the fact. So whatever comes to mind. So here are a couple questions, I think, that can help us orient to refuge and really see how powerful this can be in our lives. So in your life, in what relationships or in what community settings do you feel most safe and secure to be yourself? With what people or in what settings do you feel most safe and secure to be yourself? And notice the sensation in your body, that sense of being safe and secure among other people. That's a taste of refuge. That's that sense of security and comfort. Where in your life do you feel like you can really trust those around you and you can feel that someone has your back? That's where we want to get to, that sense of safety and security and trust. We all, hopefully, not everyone, but most of us have at least one part of our life where we can feel that. And it's a blessing if we do. We may not always have it all the time. My next question, where do you go for wisdom when you feel like you need counsel? When you're in a tough spot, who do you trust to give you advice? Who do you take refuge in? If something's going wrong, you're having some rough patch, you know, maybe it's a friend or family member, maybe it's an institution, maybe it's a therapist or who knows? online blog site. I mean, it could be anything, but where is it that you go to when you read and who do you trust, right? Who do you trust implicitly to advise you that you would feel safe and secure with their response? That's what we're talking about when we say taking refuge in somebody. And here's another question. What might it mean for you to be a refuge for others? What might it mean for you to be a refuge for others? No right answer, of course, but for you, what might that mean to be a place of safety and security, someone who's trusted? And where in your life do you feel like you already might play that role? In your life, are you a refuge for others? Could be for your children or your partner. Could be in the context of your workplace, friendships. It's really a special role to be able to think about that and really reflect on what you might mean to somebody else who's in need. Who comes to you 
for wisdom when they're in need and they're tossed out of the boat, so to speak. And then the last reflective question has to do with what I had said earlier about this concept of taking refuge in spiritual practice, right? There's something implicit in it that's about elevating spirituality to a high value point in your life, putting it at the top of your aspiration and allowing other parts of your life to be really impacted by the spiritual aspiration, right? And that takes, again, mindfulness out of the realm of just a tool for physical well-being and mental well-being, but putting spiritual practice in the forefront of your life. So the question in regards to that is, what does it mean for you to have spirituality as your highest value? What does that mean for you? What comes to mind when you think to yourself, my commitment to be compassionate, wise, and loving. What does it mean for that to be a value in your life, to be a gem? And I know it's abstract, but it's meant to just kind of probe there. What does that mean for you to have that as such a high value? Watch how mood changes. Watch where your thoughts go. And so the intention of this reflection is to really make this practical. And you can see in the questions where this, this structure comes from, because we already play these roles in our life. We seek people to have refuge in, right? To take refuge in, to take comfort in. We seek solace and comfort and counsel in people, and people come to us for solace and counsel. So we have these Kalyanamita relationships, even if we don't call them that. And here, we just formalize it in the Dharma, and we look at the teachings as the source of wisdom, right? And that's where we go to to orient ourselves, our spiritual GPS. We go to our community members and our teachers. And so it's interesting, I find, to really look in your own life where you can take refuge and what it means for you to take refuge and then apply it to your spiritual practice and ask, well, what does it mean for me to take refuge then in Buddha Dharma Sangha and really personalize it right? It's not some kind of rote practice, but something that has to be personal and meaningful. Next week, we'll go into the details of each of the refuges and what they mean and how we might uh, consider them. So that's an overview of refuge. Let us plop back into presence. Let's do some meta on our way out. Let's take refuge in loving kindness, why don't we? Take a long, slow, deep breath in, bringing awareness into the body, full body awareness. Long, slow breath out, relaxing. Embodied beings coming together in practice. What a delight. Grateful for all of you coming together this evening to practice and share in this long-standing tradition of human beings coming together and awakening. 
focusing on love and kindness, generosity and joy, taking refuge in each other, being inspired by each other, supported by each other, cared for. Meditation can be a lonely practice, but then we all get together in the same room and suddenly it's alive and vibrant. A living, breathing community. So let's offer some of this joy, some of this gratitude to the world. Let's wish well for all beings. May all beings find a place of refuge. May all beings feel safe and secure and protected. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings have someone to take refuge in. May we all have someone who listens, cares for us. May we all have someone we can trust. May we all know the safety and security of Sangha, real community. Again, let's make room in our hearts for all the suffering that we've seen lately. This increase in the COVID virus, all the death we've seen, so much grieving, families, friends, relatives, I don't feel like we talk much about that in the news. People are grieving. Let's hold them close to our hearts. Let's wish them well and wish that they have someone who will comfort them during this time, who will care for them, listen to them, love them, honor their grief. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings know true love, true compassion, true joy in this lifetime. May all beings know full liberation. May all beings know full liberation. Be well, be safe, my friends. Take care of yourselves. We will continue our journey into refuge next week with some more meditation, maybe some chanting. Until then, be safe. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. 
This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. We are so excited to offer the first of many in our 2021 retreat series, Foundations of the Spiritual Journey. Join us Saturday, January 30th for the Triple Gem Mindset taught by Gregory Maloof from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. Pacific Time online via Zoom. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.